Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Want to make 2017 your best year ever? Then let me be your teacher, your mentor. I've prepared special courses and webinars for you that will help you succeed and to give you access directly to me. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up today. You have nothing to lose. Try me for 30 days and if you aren't satisfied, I guarantee you a full refund, no questions asked. Don't go it alone. Let me be your guide at mojouniversity.com. Be successful today. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest today. My guest is Mr. Matthew Turner. Now, Matthew is an author and storyteller who works with entrepreneurs, founders, and creative thinkers, and he does this to create a thriving business that lights a fire within them. Now, he's interviewed 163 authority figures, written a new book. We're going to talk about it. And Matthew's unearthed how successful people overcome failure and adversity, something that all of us in management and leadership know an awful lot about. He wants us to know how to do this so it doesn't destroy our livelihood and that it can form the basis for our greatest ideas yet. So, uh, Matthew, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Oh, thank you so much, Steve. A real pleasure to be here. Well, uh, Matthew, I know it's going to be fun for people with your uh, your accent and my accent. We're going to have a great time today, so let's make them work a little bit. Now, uh, before we get started today, uh, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Well, I have um, I have a four-year-old, just turned four-year-old son. So this weekend, yeah, he's he's a bundle of joy. He really is something, and he's just at such a fun age at the moment. So, yeah, this weekend we went to a lovely little place close to me called Hebden Bridge. Just had a bit of a walk around, went down to the river, and he took his little fishing nets. So that was a lot of fun. And another thing is I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars. And he is just starting to get into Star Wars, and he is to a point now where he's always asking like daddy can we watch star wars so for the past few weeks i have been re-watching a lot of star wars for the first time with my little boy which has been a whole lot of fun so yeah that kind of sums up my awesome my recent life outside of work definitely awesome sounds like fun and may the force be with you and uh, <laughs> i look forward to us having a great conversation today uh, why don't you tell our listeners uh, where you are as far as uh, where you're located i think that would help them as well 
Yeah, absolutely. You can learn more about me personally and all all of my books and um, you know all the things that I do and at turndog.co. So that's T-U-R-N-D-O-G dot C-O, turndog.co. Um, but a great deal of this conversation, I believe, is going to be regarding my latest book, The Success Mistake. And you can learn all about that at successfulmistake.com. So that's successfulmistake.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And for those of you that are exercising, uh, as always, we'll have a link uh, to those websites that Matthew has given you. And I encourage you to learn more. Uh, now, Matthew, in your book, The the successful mistake how 163 of the world's greatest entrepreneurs transform transform failure to success uh what would you say was the biggest takeaway that you learned from all of these entrepreneurs and the mistakes that they had well i think the biggest takeaway and it may sound overly simplistic but the greatest takeaway is that every single successful person out there and I, and I ask our listeners now to just kind of quickly close your eyes and just picture someone who you admire like picture them picture their face someone you admire someone you look up to someone who you deem very successful and full of authority and that person whoever it may be that you're picturing right now has made a hatful of mistakes they have failed there's a good chance they failed to the point where they felt like they were going to give up, they were going to lose it all, that they weren't quite cut out for all of this, whatever this quotation marks may be. And that is like the biggest takeaway. Like life is not easy. Success is not easy. It isn't handed to anyone on a plate, or at least the vast majority of people don't get it handed on a plate to them. And even when you get success, that doesn't mean that it's all easy all roses all rainbows there's going to be hardships that follow so that's just a huge reminder and although we all know this like you know this i'm not telling you anything new here i think we forget about it we compare ourselves to others we wish we had something else we wish we were more like x or we had what y have but it's it's part of your journey and your successes form more often, than that, more often than not, out of failure, out of mistakes, out of adversity. And I think that's a reminder we all need more than we're probably willing to accept. I totally agree with you, uh, Matthew. I, I know that mistakes are a part of growth. Uh, based on your research, uh, why do you think so many people uh, are, are really so risk-averse? Why, why, what makes the difference between one having a mistake and quitting and the other that says okay i made a mistake but i'm going to learn from that and move forward well to be quite honest it's it's rather sad but it's society and a big chunk of it i mean my my better half my girlfriend rosanna is uh, is a teacher she's a primary school teacher and i she loves teaching and she obviously has i i get to peek inside the educational system through her eyes and in my opinion, you know, the educational system, at least in the Western world, and I think most places in the world, it's it's somewhat broken because we just, and she's, uh, yeah, she's pointing at me now and she's not even going, yeah. <laughs> and it's because, <laughs> like, the teachers are good. Like, it's not that we shouldn't learn maths or science or anything like that, but we get ingrained into us that mistakes and failure is wrong but we need to do something in a particular way and if we don't do it that way then we are wrong 
and that we're not going to get this we're not going to do about where it's just ingrained into us but in actual fact we as human beings are born to fail that is how we learn that is how i mean i just mentioned my son a few minutes ago he learned how to walk through a great deal of trial and error that's natural that's innate to him that is born into him but then along the way and it kind of happens at school and parents have their show and friends and society as a whole that you know reading con homework starts showing up you know you start getting sent to your room you start saying no you can't do that because so we start getting this black and white outlook on life where if you're not doing the right thing then you're doing the wrong thing and the wrong thing is bad and the wrong thing is what bad people do and it comes in and it's something that the book introduced me to in this notion of mindset. I've known of mindset for years, but I never really fully appreciated it. But it's a very simple way to explain mindset. Um, Carol Dweck unearthed all of this with her fantastic book, Mindset. And there's the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. And the growth mindset is very much what we're born into. You know, I may not be good at this right now, but it's okay because I can progress. Whereas the fixed mindset is the more black and white outlook on world. It's if I'm not good at something, it's therefore I'm not meant to be. I will, I can try as much as I want to be good at something, but I'm just not cut out for this. And I think society and education and how most people are brought up are very much done in a, in a fixed mindset way. And it's, sometimes to protect us and to kind of keep us on the straight and narrow, but it, it confines us and it stops us from branching out. It stops us from going after those risks. So just to come back to that question that you asked, why are people, so many people risk adverse? It's because of that. We are ingrained into us, this fixed mindset of that if you're not right, therefore you are wrong. And if you not, don't want to be wrong, then you should kind of play it safe. I think it's well said, and I think the mindset that we approach uh, everything in our lives is really important, and especially if we're in a management or leadership position, because too many, so many leaders uh, actually believe they have to be correct all the time, and that's a mindset that can cause nothing but heartache and failure, in my opinion. Uh, Absolutely. So when, when you, uh, in interviewing the uh, people that you had and that, the things that you learned, uh, what were a, a, a couple, couple of mistakes that we should be avoiding so that we can begin to train our mindset properly? Well, from a, I think a really key thing from, I mean, it's key for absolutely anybody, quite frankly, but especially from a management and leadership point of view, is communication. Mm. And communication is something that propped up again and again. I, I kind of found these six or seven fundamental causes of mistakes. These are the sort of patterns that I found out by, you know, all the various things, uh, you know, all these mistakes came in so many various forms, but these six or seven things came up again and again and again to the point where it's like these are the fundamental aspects of what makes a mistake a mistake, how people fail. And communication is one of those fundamental things. It's one of those cornerstone mistakes. And I think from a leadership and management perspective, communication is just huge. Because you can speak too much. You can be that person who's always talking and you refuse to listen because you're just wanting to communicate, 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 get your point across. 
But then there's the danger of listening too much, you know, being becoming a bit of a yes man and listening to everyone and not having any conviction in your own self. Then there's communication where you're not speaking to your audience enough, you're not speaking to your employees enough, you're not speaking to your partners enough. So communication comes, or, or at least, shall I say, communication can come undone in so many ways. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a reminder that we all need, really on a daily basis, how well am I communicating right now? And is the way I'm communicating right now going to create conflict? Is it going to create a mistake? Is it going to open up a few cracks in my business, in my personal life, in my whatever it may be? And I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, we can all get better at communication. So, yeah, I, I mean, but I, by all means, follow up with some further questions here. But I feel like we could delve a lot deeper into communication. And it's, it's very relevant to, to your audience. Well, there's, there's no question that uh, communication... It causes an awful lot of failures uh, in management and leadership simply because people are not aware of it. Uh, I I, I happen, I just don't think people really understand what communication really means. So why don't you uh, share your definition? What does it really mean to communicate with someone? Well, communication is a two-way thing. You mean I can't just do it one way and be done with it? Can I? If I'm the boss, can I just tell you and that's communicating? No, I'm afraid not. No, no. Unfortunately, even though it will pain (laughs) so many managers and so many of the bosses that I've had over the years, and so many you know people of authority, no, communication is a two-way thing, and it's something I continue to struggle with at all times because I, I um. You know, I, I ramble on and I'll get stuck and I, again, my, I'll bring up my girlfriend. She'll always say that I, I'm rather good at preaching and just going on and on about something if I feel strongly about it. And that isn't communication. That is very much preaching. Communication is a two-way thing. You need to listen. You need to listen to the other person and appreciate where they're coming from. And, and when I say listen, I, it means listen, not just shut your mouth and let those words from the other person flow into your ears. But you've got to take it on board. You've got to show empathy. You've got to show you know, understanding. But then at the same time, you need to speak. You can't just listen. You can't be the person who only sits back and never says anything because you need to get your own point across. Otherwise, you're just going to be one of those nodding individuals who say, yes, sir, yes, sir, of course, sir. So communication is a two-way street. And it's not as simple. Is it just being a two-way street? Because sometimes it'll be a three-way street or a four-way street or a five-way street. You might have to communicate with dozens of people across dozens of departments in dozens of different aspects. And they might all need to come together and you might be the linchpin to all these people coming together. And that is the role of leadership. That is the role of management. And whether you're a business owner or executive or whatever it might be, that is the role you often have. You have a linchpin to so much communication. But in its fundamental form, it is a two-way channel of listening and speaking. And I think one of the greatest skills any of us can always get better at is to better understand when we should listen, when we should talk, how we should listen, how we should talk, and just keep on rinsing people because it requires different approaches every single time. Oh, I, I know uh, in, in my life, and I couldn't agree with you more. I, I love the way that you're describing that. Uh, my wife, Cindy, reminds me all the time that I'm not nearly as good a listener as I should be. 
<laughs> and uh, it, it's an area that uh, you do have to be aware of. You, you, just, you just have to be open to it. And uh, I, I'm a better listener now than I once was, but I want to be better. And I've learned that sometimes you just got to stop and listen and, and ask a question and uh, you'll learn a lot. Uh, to me, it, it does help avoid some of the mistakes uh, that we tend to make in, in business. Now, other than communication, you said you mentioned there were uh, seven mistakes that you find, and I know that we don't have time to go into all of them, but what was the, the second or third uh, maybe greatest mistakes that people make? Okay, so I'll just quickly tell you the the ones which I found, and it's this idea. Yeah. It comes in stage one in the book called Shock, and it's how the, the book starts. And how most of these mistakes formed was one was hiring. Hiring people just came up time and time again. It's a mistake that we all kind of go um, come across at some stage or another. There's also growth and expansion. So when you're growing, there's always going to be potential for mistakes. Decision making came up time and time again just the decisions that you make because when you're in stage one and you're shocked you tend to make poor decisions then there was this sort of balance between passion and purpose so many mistakes would breed out of you know not quite getting that balance between passion and purpose right you know you'd skew one way or another then there was communication like i said fear also is a huge one and it's one i'd like to touch upon next and then the final one is just a bit of an out it's, it's more of a miscellaneous thing and it's just external issues the fact mm. that it's not always your fault you know i mean we live in a world where bankers make mistakes and it has a huge effect on our lives our houses our businesses so sometimes a mistake isn't yours to um you know isn't really your fault but it's yours to own yeah. whether it's your fault or not so yeah i think the second one behind um communication which i'd love to focus on because it kind of follows on from what we were talking about earlier with this idea of being risk averse fear and -hmm. again i don't want to blame society or education or our parents or our friends or our social circles or anything like this but a great deal of fear is embedded in us from a young age we develop these beliefs based on conversations we hear it's incredible actually the majority of the beliefs that you have now you will be unaware of them unless you've actually taken the time to you know understand them but you do what you do you the decisions you make are based on the beliefs that you have and these beliefs largely formed at an age where you were you know too young to know better because you were brought into this world as an absolute blank canvas and everything was new so you were basically learning at a fast and furious pace so you were able to digest the world around you what you know the languages what things actually mean i mean when you're a baby you like what is a tree you need to figure out what a tree is you need to figure out what color is what language is everything and you do it so in order to kind of process it all you form these beliefs so an argument between your parents about money when you were maybe like eight months old 18 months old in the car and if that happened again and again with your between your parents you will subconsciously form a belief that money equals conflict similar thing is if um you know you do something wrong and you get sent to your room so if you make a mistake and you get sent to your room or you get sent outside of class you start to form this belief that mistakes are bad that mistakes equal pain or equal you know not reward 
so therefore don't make mistakes. And it, these beliefs can be positive, but they so often feed your fear. And then your fear feeds these beliefs and it becomes a very vicious circle. So fear is a huge thing that comes up. And whether you're a business owner, an executive, management, leadership, whatever it might be, fear is something that is going to hold you back. You're going to constantly have to battle it because you don't just get rid of fear. It's not to say, oh, okay, I'm now conscious that I have fear, therefore I won't be fearful. It doesn't work like that. But you cannot let fear hold you back. You cannot let that fear of doing whatever it may be stop you from doing that. I, I'm not good on the phone. I don't like sales calls and cold calls and things like that. So I try and avoid it as much as I can by you know, doing other things. But there are times when I need to call people up on the phone. And it's a scary thing. I always get very anxious on those days. You know, I can, I can, t- I can remove myself from it, and I can break it down and go like, I am not. F- I'm feeling on edge today. I'm feeling on edge right now, and I know about it. it's because of this, and it's because of the fear, and it's because of these beliefs, and it doesn't. I can reverse engineer it as much as I want, but the fact is that I don't enjoy this. I'm feel for it, for it, but I can't let that fear be an excuse for me not doing it. I just need to take some deep breaths, make those phone calls, get the best of it, and get better at it. You know, learn about it, make a conscious effort for getting better. And that's key because you can't remove fear from your life, but you can manage it better and you can embrace it better and you can accept that it's there, but it's not going to be an excuse if you're not doing anything. I think you're uh, 100% correct. I, I do believe that many people uh, are, they, they actually are afraid to face their fear. Uh, yeah. And, and it's not that big a deal once you say, okay, well, what, what really is this? I mean, fear isn't an emotion. And that emotion, uh, if you really just stop and, and analyze it, you can find a way to face it and to move forward. And I, I just I, I agree with you that people tend to give it too much credence. And we do say, well, you know, this is the way it's always been. Well, it doesn't always have to be that way. You can change it, just like your example of making making calls that you don't really want to make. But if you make the first one, the second one becomes a little bit easier, and the third one's easier still. So yeah, it, I'd like to know, read a we quick. We have to do that. I'd like to read a quick quote, if that's okay, too, because of uh, course. in in the book, I um, I referenced Debbie Millman for the section of fear. And Debbie is the host of Design Matters, and she's worked at, I think it's Sterling and something or other. I can't quite remember. I might have it in here. But she's, you know, a big-time executive, been around for a long time, you know. Sterling Brands, yes. Yeah. So she was president of Sterling Brands, worked for some of the biggest companies in the world. And she talked about how fear held her back and how she chose a life of comfort over, you know, her dreams because you know, she was scared of taking that first step. And she told me about this conversation she had with Danny Shapiro, who's best-selling author of books like Slow Motion and Still Writing. And this conversation that she had, she, Danny told Debbie, said, we think we need confidence to do something and to take action, but confidence isn't what we need, as this often holds us back. What's more, in com- what's more important than confidence is courage and competence. And I think that's just a very eloquent way of breaking down fear. It's like you don't need to be confident or, you know, overly brave or skillful to to do what you need to do. You just need a bit of courage to take a first step and a little bit of competence. 
you need to just know enough. Yeah. And then everything else will click into place. You'll make a step and you'll make another step and it'll just, you know, you'll follow the path. You'll follow those breadcrumbs. Well said. You know, I've, uh, I've heard, uh, uh, well, I've, I've interviewed people on the show as well as uh, read it in different books where uh, there's a phrase that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it's called uh, learn how to fail fast. Uh, mm-hmm. in business so that you can you can move forward and th- there's a lot of wisdom in failing fast but I got to tell you uh, the vast majority of people reject uh, that philosophy altogether because th- they want to fail uh, infrequently is, is yeah. what I would say they're locked on uh, on making the perfect score the perfect decision the perfect uh, everything and it's that that slave to perfection that uh, keeps you afraid, in my opinion, and it's unreasonable to think that you're going to be perfect. You're not. None of us are. Exactly. And if my son had taken that approach in learning how to walk, he would still be crawling. If he was, you know, going too scared to to make that first step and to just keep getting up and trying, he wouldn't have learned how to walk. And everyone listening to this has to remember that, you know, we were all that child. Absolutely. We were all that baby learning how to talk, walk, <laughs> all these things. And it's innate. It's inbuilt into us. It's part of our DNA. We learn how to learn through failure. Like That is how we get places in life. And just because we've been brought up to think differently over the years doesn't make it true. It doesn't remove this fact that we have evolved as a species by trial and error. That is the very notion of evolution, at least as far as I know it anyway. Well, my late mom would have, would have said I was the poster child for learning what not to do uh, <laughs> yeah. for all of the things that I did. And, and she was right. One of the most humorous ones that I got was, you know, you were talking about your son learning to walk. And uh, when I was uh, a child, one of the things that I, I did that drove my mother absolutely nuts is that I wanted to eat dirt <laughs> and uh, but you know what uh, I grew up and uh, I, I certainly uh, by the time I was a teenager I I didn't eat dirt anymore I had learned that that was really kind of stupid so you can learn if you just just absolutely be honest with yourself and learn that fear is is nothing but an emotion and it's an emotion that you can uh, can analyze you can control and you can move forward from and I, I do think it holds people back. I, I have thought, and I'm just curious based on the people that you have interviewed, uh, I've often thought that people are, uh, m- many people in business are, are really more afraid of the success that they can have than they are of the failure that they've had. Did, did you find any correlation in there in the research that you did to that, or did you have examples of that? Yeah, it's not a subject I focus too much in the book itself, but um, but yeah, it did come up, and yeah, a great deal of self sabotage, and I think is the way to kind of put it. And one story which comes to mind is from Jason Gennard, who's the founder of Mastermind Talks these days. But Jason, like uh, you know, made his mark and he built a great deal of authority in in ticket selling business it was i think canada's third largest ticket seller so it competed with the likes of um Ticketmaster and places like that and he, you know he made millions like he was he supposedly on the outside looking in had everything that he wanted 
yet he found himself pretty much losing everything to the point where you know he, i think he almost lost his house and among everything like he lost his business and everything like he didn't have much left the bank took almost everything and part of that was down to he had a bit of a you know shall we say a shady partner and you know part of it was down to other external circumstances and part of it was just down to the nature of business but he looked back and he told me how he felt like he self-sabotaged a great deal because he had in this back of his mind this idea of like his plan a dream like what he wanted to do with life but this plan b life was doing so well and so long as that plan b was there he could never properly dive into plan A, but subconsciously was self-sabotaging because you want plan A, don't you? You want steak. Mm -hmm. You don't want a burger. You want the steak. And subconsciously, like your body's going to be like, I don't want this burger. I don't want to sell this burger. I don't care if it's got money in the bank and it means I've got a nice fancy house and car. I want that steak. I want to do what you know feels good and what I feel like is going to be my true ambition. And I think that is one of the things which I found. It's not always that people are afraid of success and i but i do agree with you I, i've found that a great deal since that people can be a little bit too scared of su actual success and what am i going to do when i make it mm -hmm. but people i think are scared of the wrong kind of success they're scared about if they make it they're still not going to be happy and the reason they feel that is because they don't appreciate what happiness means to them Absolutely. So they so they build a business to make a million dollars, and they're kind of scared to make a million dollars because it's like, what if I'm not happy when I get a million dollars? What if I still feel like this? It happens all the time in the corporate world. I'm gonna be okay once I get the next promotion. I'm gonna yeah, be okay once I get the next promotion. <laughs> and you're worried, like secretly, like, well, what if I make it to the top where I there's no promotions left, and I still feel like this? So I don't think it's that we fear success per se it's that we appreciate we don't really know what success means to us we might not be conscious of it but deep down our body's trying to tell us like you don't have a clue you're following someone else's dream here man like Absolutely. wake up this isn't what we want this Absolutely. isn't what we want uh, that is so true and and i i totally agree because I, I'm, I'm convinced that if you don't get up every day and make it a goal that you're going to have fun, you're going to enjoy your life, and you're going to live it to the full, uh, you, you're, you're going to cheat yourself an awful lot. And I, I see a lot of people that are always looking, just like you said, to that next promotion, next thing, next, next, next. And I'm like, man, what if next doesn't get here? Yeah. You know, are you saying that I'm going to resign myself to being miserable? I, you don't have to do that. And I'm glad that you pointed out that out today. Now, Matthew, I could go on with this uh, all uh, just for an hour or more, but we're not going to do that. We're going to respect everybody's time today. Uh, as we're kind of coming to a close here of our interview, if you don't mind, I'd like for you to summarize the top two or three action items that you recommend that we all take starting today in order to live a more successful life. Okay, well, the biggest thing that you can do, in my opinion, to overcome the vast majority of mistakes, and when I say mistakes here, I mean like you will spot your mistakes before they happen, and you will also better overcome your mistakes and failures when they do happen. So you'll be, this is both like a reactive and a proactive measure, which for me ticks two very important boxes. And it is 
reflection time. And it sounds so simple. And I know, but I'm not teaching anybody anything new here. I'm just repeating all these things. But you already know this. But it's like, do you appreciate it? And the problem most people have is they just zoom through life. They wake up, they get ready, they have breakfast, they go to the office, they work, they work, they maybe have a lunch, maybe not. They work, they work, they work, they go from one task to another, then they clock off and they drive home and then they quickly have a quick, you know, kiss to their partner, talk about each other's day, but then they get the kids dinner ready and then they're getting the kids ready for bed and then they've got a little bit more work to do a bit of email and then they do this and they sleep and then they wake up the next day and it's just rinse and repeat and weeks and weeks go by and they don't give any time for themselves to just go what the hell am i learning like what happened today Mm-hmm. What happened today? What happened yesterday? What do I want to happen today? And I think you want two or three action points. I will say this: like, choose three periods. Have a morning reflection period, an evening reflection period, and a bedtime reflection period. And this can be as little as five minutes each, which adds up to fifty minutes of your day. And if you are trying to pretend to me that you don't have fifty minutes to your day, I'm going to call BS because every single one of us has fifteen minutes to do something that's important you have 15 minutes to get ready in the morning brush your teeth have a shower you don't really need to shower and brush your teeth every day that isn't life or death yet you find that time because it's important to you you have 15 minutes to reflect five minutes in the morning five minutes in the evening five minutes before bed and just ask yourself questions like in the morning what do i want to achieve today like what am i doing today what is going to be my most important thing how am i going to have fun today What am I going to do if something goes wrong today? In the evening, what has gone wrong today? What has gone right? What have I learned? What am I thankful for right now? What am I feeling right now? Am I stressed? Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I tired? Why? And then before bed, what am I proud of today? What am I going to do the first thing when I wake up tomorrow? You can make the rules. You can do whatever you like. You can go for walks during your reflection period, listen to music, do a little bit of yoga or meditation. You can even include it with a loved one, you know, have an accountability partner, do it with your better half and just speak for five minutes, have those conversations, you know, improve that communication that we were just talking about. But reflection is key. You will spot your mistakes before they happen. You will overcome them when they do and you will speed up the whole process a great deal. That's awesome. That's awesome. That. Thank you very much, Matthew. That's a great summary and a great action item for all of us. And if we all did that, I know we're going to be much, much better off. My guest today has been Matthew Turner. He's the author of The Successful Mistake. And I encourage you to connect with him on his website uh, that he's mentioned, and it's included in this post. Learn more about how you can make your mistakes into your success. Matthew, thank you so very much for your wisdom today. We enjoyed it, and we wish you continued success in all your endeavors. Steve, an absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much for having me on, and listener, thank you for listening. Steve here, and one last reminder. I want to thank you for listening to the show, and I want to encourage you, go over to mojouniversity.com. Before you forget it, make sure you sign up for our training site. And let me be your teacher this year. I promise you, you're going to be successful. You're going to love it. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up today.